Nice. I'm so glad you guys are here. Um, yes, last week was Easter. It was awesome. It, it was amazing. I love Easter. It's one of my favorite times of year. Uh, it, I think it's the event that changed everything. Um, it, it's the event that launches us in um, to a whole new world, to a whole new life, and, and, and all those things. And I love Easter, but the question is, is what do we do after? You know, we, we get all dressed up. We get all excited for Easter. Um, most churches have a huge build coming up to Easter, you know, because it's a time when, like, people will show up. I, I think last week we had, between our services, we had, like, 70 people kind of crammed in here between two services. And, and, and you get that whole build up. But it always seems like after Easter, it's always like that. <sighs> I don't know you. I, I, I had a deep breath after Easter was done with all the preparations and everything. But long before Easter came, God just really started putting on my heart, especially this year. We t- spent an awful lot of time talking about the church and, and what does it mean to be the church and what does it mean to look like the church and, and, and everything. And so I'm really excited that we're starting this whole new series through the book of Acts um, as we continue to march out of Easter. Because what Easter was, Easter was kind of the end of one beginning and now the whole start of a whole new story. And it's the same story, but it continues on through us. And so uh, over the next weeks, maybe months, I don't know, we are going to be going through um, the book of Acts. And we're going to start right at the very, very beginning, and so a new beginning. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 1. If you don't have Bibles, we have them available for you. If you forgot it or you're on vacation, you left one, you can grab one of those. Put your name in it. You can keep it um, that, at yours. If you like your electronic devices, you can use your electronic devices. Just sign in on GBC Guest. Um, type in find more all lower caps and you can follow along um, with us as we um, go through this series and go through these passages this morning Um, man this was as you're turning there this this has been a long week I I don't know about you but this last week um, Universal decided that it'd be a good idea to put a 50 year old on night shifts (laughs) and so there there was one morning I got home at 3 30 4 o'clock in the morning and decided I'll just stay up because it's the only time I got to see my wife. And so there's a really good chance I'm going to be saying things that I don't understand what I'm saying. So good luck. <laughs> because it, it has been a busy, crazy week. But in the midst of the week, God has just been faithful. Um, Friday night, I spent three hours of a six-hour shift talking to, to a young lady about Jesus. It was just kept coming by and staying there and talking to me about Jesus. So, so I mean... We get opportunities every single day to carry on the story, and that's exciting to me that we get a chance to learn and to study and to get encouraged and pushed towards let's keep this story going. So if you have your Bibles again, Acts chapter 1, as always, um, these are the only words that matter. Um, what, What I have to say has no consequence whatsoever. Um, I, I love that Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will remain. It's the only authority I have. It's the only authority we have to be a church. Um, it, it's the only words that matter. And so out of respect and acknowledgement that, I'm going to ask if you'll stand with me as we read in Acts chapter 1, starting at verse 6. Dr. Luke writes this. He says, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. 
And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much this morning. God, I thank you for the privilege of just gathering in your name, in your presence. Father, the truth is, is you don't need me to preach. You don't need us to sing songs. You don't need us to do anything, God, but you invite us to come and be in your presence, to be changed by your word, by your spirit, by your power. And so, God, that's what I pray this morning. Father, that you would just move in our midst, Father, that these would be your words, not mine. God, hide me. Father, I pray you just take my tongue. God, that everything that is said this morning would honor you, would bring you glory and point to you. God, that we would leave here this morning not saying what a great sermon or great music or any of that stuff, but just what an awesome, great God you are. Father, I pray for ears to hear, for hearts to respond. God, and the courage to live it out, Father. I thank you that you have entrusted in us this story, this never-ending story, just to continue to march on. So, God, this morning, encourage us, challenge us, change us. And again, Father, I pray that everything that happens would be done in such a way that you're the only one that gets credit. And so, God, we love you and we praise you. Lead us now. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So, I, I love the book of Acts, and one of the things I love about the book of Acts, and, I, and I've said this before and kind of just prepping for um, this series and everything, the book of Acts is the only book that doesn't have an ending in the Bible. There, there's no finality in the book of Acts. Every other book has kind of a final greeting or something like that, but the book of Acts doesn't because I believe that we are still living in the book of Acts that we are still carrying on, that what started uh, 2,000 years ago is still being carried on in churches and in lives of people throughout the globe. And so um, this morning, I really want to kind of get a set up and, and get kind of a background of, of what Acts is and, and the story is. And so um, kind of Bible study-ish, but there's some really great stuff right here in the very beginning. But look at, look at Acts chapter 1, starting at verse 1. And first of all, the author of Acts is a guy named Luke. You may have heard him. He wrote a gospel and stuff. And, and the matter of fact is that Luke and Acts were supposed to be one book. It was kind of like part one, part two. For those of you that are Harry Potter fans, just, just two books, okay? Not, not 9,000 and everything. But it, it, Acts is just a continuation story. So, so look in verse one. In fact, this is how Luke um, starts. He says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had been given commands through after he had given commands through the holy spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of god i, I want to sit there for just a second and, and again say that that luke is a luke the book of acts is a continuation i, I love that luke says at the very first he says and it's the same greeting by the way theophilus we don't know who that is, 
Um, most of us believe that that's a real person, that he's actually writing this to someone. But I love that in verse 1 he says, you know, in the first book, I dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. I, I started with the beginning in the first book. That was part one. And now Acts comes in, and now I'm going to tell you what happens afterwards and, and how this continues on, that Acts is part two. Also, for the very first time, we hear the word apostles. And he says it in verse two, it says, until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Uh, again, this, is a, this has not been used before. All through the Gospels, we hear about the twelve and everything. They're his disciples. But all of a sudden, they're apostles. And all that word apostle means is really is those who had seen Jesus alive. Those, those who were specifically chosen for a purpose. That, and so it was the beginning of kind of a leadership structure, of an authority structure. But these were very special people because they had actually physically seen Jesus alive. See, that's why I kind of believe personally that, that that's not a term that we use today. I think there are other terms like pastors and leaders and teacher and, and elders and stuff like that, and especially disciples still works. But the apostles were these guys that actually saw Christ rise again. And, and then again, it goes in verse 3. It says, he presented himself alive to them after suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Again, 40 days Jesus walked around. It's almost like he wanted to make sure there was no doubt that yes, he died, but he rose again. In fact, there's other places in the New Testament where it says that over like 400 people took witness of him. 400 people saw him. And I know there are people out there who say right now that, okay, now you're getting into kind of crazy like myth stuff. Yeah, Jesus died. Maybe he didn't really die. I, I'm going to tell you something. Jesus Christ actually did die. There was no one better at putting someone to death than the Romans. There was no doubt that Jesus died. Even medical doctors, they have looked over the evidence. They said there's no way that he survived this. In fact, you know, one of the sure signs is the idea when they stuck the spear in Jesus and said that blood and water flowed, it's because the heart had stopped. And when that happens, our fluids kind of all kind of come together. And so he was dead. But as we celebrated last week, he's alive. Over 400 people saw him, and he, he spoke. And I love that most of the time that Jesus actually spoke to him, he did stuff like eat with them. See, there are some people that believe that maybe it was just like the spirit form of Jesus, that he was just kind of like, you know, Casper, kind of floating there, just saying, eh. no, he ate. He ate fish with them. He, he sat and he talked to them. He actually looked at, Tim, he looked at Thomas and said, look, look at the scars. Put your fingers there and feel the scars and see the holes and everything. And so we need to understand that that resurrection is the key of us being here today. In fact, Paul later on, he says, listen, if Christ didn't rise again, then all we are talking about and all that we're doing, it's all in vain. The resurrection changes everything. The cross took care of sin. The resurrection is the thing that gives us life and hope. And so there was no doubt in these disciples' minds. And as we study this and you see what they go through and, and everything that they are dealing with, it was all based on the simple fact that Jesus was alive. In fact, out of all the apostles, they were all martyred. That John... They tried to martyr him, they boiled him oil, and then he didn't die, and so they put him on Patmos. And the one thing that would have saved every one of their lives, the one thing that all the followers since then 
that in that time could have saved their lives. Because all they ever had to say is that, no, he's not alive. Listen, I know a lot of people that will fall for a lie. I know a lot of people that follow crazy people. But I don't know anybody that would give their life for a lie or a lunatic. It's imperative that we understand that our Lord, our Savior, the God we follow, if you're a follower of Christ today, is alive and active today. You go to any other religious leader's tomb, they're still there, not Jesus. And so, so Luke wants to emphasize this again, that for 40 days, Jesus, and he continued to teach, and he continued to tell them, like, here's the things you're going to need to know. I, I love it. Look at verse 4. And then it says, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, to, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. I love the very first thing that Jesus tells him. He says, I'm teaching you, but you need to stay here. Now, understand this. Jesus, in the eyes of the Jewish leaders and the Roman leaders and everything, this was problem. This was trouble, and we don't want to deal with trouble. And all of it was based in Jerusalem. And yet Jesus says, I want you to stay here. I, I, I want you to, to be in the same place where everybody is looking. Everyone's trying to disprove it. And it's so cool to me that God, that Jesus chose the place that he was rejected as the place that he would start a fresh witness of his life and every, all of his teachings. Isn't that powerful? Think about that. I mean, if, if, I wanna, if I really want to push something and I'm in trouble in a town, like if all you guys start hating me sometime and, and all this stuff and it gets bad, there's a really good chance I'm going to move someplace new. <laughs> I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to stay here where like all the turmoil and all the trouble and people talking and, and, and going against me and stuff. Sometimes we like to move, but here Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. I, I want you right in the middle of that trouble. Because the place where they rejected me is the place where they're going to find out they were wrong. And, and the hope and the story is going to go on from there. And, and so we see that right in, in the beginning. So Luke is the author. It's the second part. And so I encourage you over the next couple of weeks, over the next month or so, to read the whole book of Luke and then read Acts. And just get the entire picture of what Christ has done and now what his church is supposed to do. But, but I love this, and so he's teaching them. And Luke doesn't go into all his teaching, but he does point out the most important thing. He points out to them some of their marching orders. For them. And, and I don't know about you, um, I, I, I'm in the, I was in the military for a number of years. I know exactly what it means to get orders. You get a task, you get a condition, you get a standard, and you go out and, and you do that and, and everything. And I know a lot of people It's like, well, you know, are they suggestions? No, these are orders. <laughs> These are commands. So many times I think we look at scripture and we say, well, that's just a suggestion. I don't even know if that word's in Greek, suggestion. I don't think I've ever read that word in the Bible where Jesus says, I suggest <laughs> that you go and do this. Now, we have orders, and the orders they received are the orders that we still carry out today because they haven't been completed. Look at verse 6. Verse 6, and it says, so, so when they had come together, 
they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? I, I, I love that because they're still missing the point of everything. And I think so often we do. We, we get locked in our wants, and, and it's understandable for them. They're, they're asking, Lord, is this the time where the Gentile rule will be over? Is this the time where you'll set up your kingdom, where we'll actually be free from all the persecution, all the trouble and everything? Is, is it done now? Is it, is it all set? And, and they get locked into their wants. And I think so often that's how we approach God, isn't it? Lord, I'll follow you. I'll do what you ask me to do. Man, I will be the best follower you ever had. But can you make sure that this happens? Does it have to be so hard? <laughs> you know, I would love to preach every Sunday and to see just hundreds just people come forward like I accepted Jesus. Now it. I, I remember starting off in ministry many, 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 many years ago. Yeah, many, many years ago. But I remember so I was in youth ministry and we were in Georgia. And what's neat is while I was in the army, we always we never asked to go anywhere. We never said like we want to go to this specific base. We said, God, just send us wherever we're the most needed. And so we were in Georgia, Hinesville, Georgia. A little tiny church. And as soon as we got there, we just felt God calling us to this little first Baptist Hinesville and we were so excited and we just felt like God's calling us to youth ministry and and, and we met another couple that was involved in that and they're like, Great, we don't have a youth pastor. You guys are it. It's awesome. And so I got there. I was like, oh, I get to, like, I'm going to talk to youth. And, and I just, man, I thought I was like God's gift of preaching back then. I was just like, man, I'm, I'm anointed. I am blessed. And God has placed his hand upon me. And as I just open my mouth, lives will be changed. <laughs> I remember the first time I ever preached, all this stuff, talking to kids and everything. And at the end of it, I was like, man, how was that? And one kid in back is like, you stink. <laughs> God, it's going to be hard. Can't you just uh, make it all happen? See, we, we get locked into that. And that's, that's, it's understandable. I mean, raise your hand if you love struggle. And that, that's all they're saying. I, Lord, will at this time we take it. And I love that Jesus responds to them. In verse 7, he says, he said to them, it's not for you to know times and, or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. See, we get so wrapped up in saying, okay, Jesus is coming back here. Jesus is coming back here and, and, and all this stuff. And, and the truth is, instead of speculating all the time, we need to get on with the task that he left us to do. There are so many people that I think are so heavenly minded that they are no earthly good. They're so worried, and in our churches, we've become such a holy huddle in so many places that we just sit there and, like, we're just going to be safe, and we're going to stay here, and Jesus is going to come back, and it's all going to be okay. Listen, Jesus is coming back, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But if all we're doing is sitting there and speculating, you know, I, I think the modern terminology is like, do I feel led? He says, it's not for you, know, but there, there is, there's a task to come. Look at verse 8. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. See, we have been given a task to carry this story. What started in, in Jerusalem, what started back then, is still being carried on today. And I love that he says, listen, this is a worldwide thing. If you're 
thought pattern is that God is just like right here in Grace Baptist and that's the only place God is, then man, you have such a small view of God and I pity you. Because our God is a global God. Our God cares about every person and we have to be start thinking globally and, and that there's a task that we're called to. There's, there's a job that God has said, listen, this is what I want you to do. You're going to continue this story begun in Christ and you're going to carry it out to everywhere, to, to your Judea, your town, your neighborhood, to, to your Jerusalem, you know, to your Judea, the county, the state, to Samaria, to the other parts of the world, to every place where everyone gets to know. And the good news this morning is it's not about us doing it because we receive power to do it. He says, he says, you will receive power. By the way, that word is dunamis. It's the same word we use to get like dynamite. It's an explosive power. And by the way, that's the same word used when the power that raised Christ from the dead, the dunamis that raised Christ from the dead. So a matter of fact, if you are a follower of Christ this morning, you have the same power that rose him from the dead to accomplish whatever it is that he's called us to do. Listen, if you're exhausted in your faith, if you're exhausted by trying to live the life that God has called you to do and, and live the way that God has called you to live, and you're exhausted from that, I can tell you why. Because you're trying to do it and you're not letting him. All the power comes from his spirit that indwells us, that enables us to accomplish. That's why in, in John 14, it's all those verses about if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll do what I say. All those things. The better translation, if you love me, if you follow me, if you trust me, if you've given your life to me and I've empowered you, you will be able to do everything that I've placed before you. Do you understand that? That we, the church, the body of Christ, the people that continue the story have the power to accomplish everything. And it breaks my heart when I see churches that aren't accomplishing anything. Because we have been given that power to, to do that. And not only that, he calls us, we're called his witnesses. You know what that word is in Greek? Martis. We get the word martyr from that. Which means that no matter the cost, I'm going to tell the story. No matter the cost, I'm going to live this. This is why Paul could say, you know, to live is Christ. To live is to face opposition, to face suffering, to face trials because Jesus faced him. To die, I'm in his presence. It's so much better. We, we are called to have the power and to be martyrs. And, and listen, I'm not, I'm not saying I, w I want you to get on a plane, go to Iran, unless God is calling you and stand in the middle of Tehran and say, Jesus is the only way. I mean, it, that's a martyr. <laughs> but maybe there are things in our life we need to let go of and let die so that power can be fulfilled. Maybe there are things we're holding on to like pride or anger or unforgiveness, or bitterness. Maybe there are things that need to die in us so that we can become who we are supposed to be and have that power. See, I, I told you, the book of Acts doesn't have an ending. In fact, the book of Acts, as we'll see once we get through all this, is that it's just phase one. We are phase two. 
it continues on this this calling this command to be witnesses through the power of the holy spirit it still carries on through us I think that's why so many people are struggling with like church today. So many people are struggling with their faith because they're they're not doing what Jesus said to do. You know, I've I've always said this that you know there there are two ways to do things. There is my way and there is God's way. My way leads to bondage, leads to exhaustion, leads to prison. God's way always leads to freedom and to power and to all those things. And it's my belief that if the church was being the church, man, if we were actually living like this, as we're going to see in the next couple of weeks, there'd be no need for Social Security, Medicaid, any of those things. We would help the poor. We would do all those things. We would take care of everyone because that's why God created the church. You want to talk about social justice? That should be the church's battle cry. But we're acting like we have no power. We forget. So, so why why is that? I, I think so often we, we get locked into maybe a moment. I, I think so often we get locked into like a certain thing or a certain leader, and, and we figure, well, they're going to do it and stuff. Look, look what it says in sorry in verse nine. Jesus had just given this command. You know, the one thing that Luke says, you know, out of all the teaching and teaching about the kingdom, he emphasizes this, that you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to carry on this story. And then verse 9, it says, And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Verse 10, And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by him in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. You see, you get this picture that here's all the apostles. They're all together. They get this great command from Jesus and, and they see that. And then he just kind of, you know, I don't, I don't know. How many remember flannel graph? Thank you for agreeing with me. Flannel graph was awesome because back then, you know, you had the big Jesus. And when they taught the ascension, they put a smaller Jesus and a smaller Jesus until it was like a little dot. You know, and, and I don't know if this is exactly how it happened, if Jesus just kind of floated up, if he just kind of like I, I think Luke was trying to describe an event and stuff because none of us were there. But the point is, is that Jesus gives this command. He's like, go and be my witnesses. And then he leaves. It's almost like a passing on of the torch. He's like, OK, I've given you everything that you need. You're ready. You're, you're going to be set. There's a few more things, but, okay, it's now your job. I'm handing it over to you. And he kind of, he vanishes and disappears. And then all the disciples are just standing there, just kind of looking up at the sky, just going, you, you think he's coming back? It's, how long are we supposed to wait? And, and they're just gazing. They're, they're kind of like locked in that, that moment. And everything, and, and, and I think that happens to us. I think we get locked in moments. I think there's sometimes there's a moment, maybe, and I've seen a lot when I was in youth ministry a lot. We go to camp, and there's this great emotional moment, and kids are excited, and tears are falling, and, and Jesus is good, and they're raising their hands when they sing, and they come back, and like four weeks later, it's like nothing ever happened. And they're like, come on, if I could only be at camp. 
Because we get locked in a moment, or, or maybe you went to some service and some song was sang, or something was said, and you get locked in that moment. Or you see somebody and said, well, you know, we got that pastor or that missionary, and they're, they're going to go and do it, and we get locked into that. And, and this command is not just for the simple few, it's for all of us. And when we get locked in those moments, we become useless. We just sit there and just stand and kind of deer in the headlights look. It's like I'm seeing right now some people, you know. <laughs> We just get locked in there. And we do nothing with it. And so I love that right at that moment as they're standing there, two angels show up. Verse 10, and while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. They were angels and said, men of Galilee, why are you standing looking into heaven? What are you still doing here? Didn't he tell you to do something? <laughs> didn't, didn't he what's going on fellas you know try this this is so much fun go to some place that even if there are no tall buildings where there's a crowd of people and just stand there and look up <laughs> it's so much fun and so you can do it out here just wait for a crowd of people and just start looking up and i guarantee everyone's going to come and just be like what what's going on What's going on? I mean, that's the picture. And so I pictured this in my mind, and I've got like a strange mind a little bit, that these two angels just show up, and they're like, what are you guys looking at? I don't, I don't see anything. Don't, don't you guys got a job to do? <laughs> but isn't that us? Sometimes we get locked in like Easter or some great service or some revival meeting and we just we just sit there and we're like man that was so good that was so good that's awesome if it was so good then go do something about it this is why i can't understand when people come to church and that i know god's presence is here wherever his people are gathered his presence is here where there's two or more i think when it's just you and me if it's just me god's presence here because my bible says the spirit fills me that wherever i go god's presence is with me that I don't have to look around for him, that I just have to pay attention that he's right there and everything. And so we know God's presence is here. So why on earth would we come to church and leave and nothing change? Because in my Bible, every time someone came in God's presence, something changed. Or they walked away sad. Those are the two options. And so they look at these guys and say, listen, listen, didn't he tell you to do something? Get on with it. And by the way, don't worry about it. Look at verse 7. Verse 11, it says, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking to heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go to heaven. He's coming back. Isn't that good news? That there's a day coming when Jesus is going to return and it will all be done. Listen, I pray every day. Lord, even now, come. Even now, come. That, that would be awesome because when my Lord comes back, and, and I have a friend one time that he would always just pray. He would start in his sermons and begin his sermons like, Lord, even now, come. And he was a doctor in Africa dealing with AIDS patients and stuff and all kinds of stuff. And people would come up to him and like, why do you keep praying that? Because if Jesus comes back, you know, all those people aren't going to get a chance to know him and everything. He's like, no, no. When Jesus comes back, there will be no more AIDS. There will be no more war. There will be no more crime. There will be no more poverty. There will be. And so I pray, Lord, come back and end the atrocities and the insanity of this world. But on the other hand, every day that he doesn't gives us one more chance to reach one more person. 
He's coming back. And I tell you, when he comes back, there will be no doubt then. There will not be people that say, well, that's just a hallucination. No, that, well, that was just a story. It's going to be no doubt whatsoever when he comes back. And we can look forward to that. So that's why our study in Revelation, I sit there smiling. Even when they're talking about like a third of the world is destroyed, a third of the people die. I just sit there and smile. I says, that just means Jesus is coming back. It's good. I'm good. I know him. I'm safe. Man, I hope more people know him before that happens. <laughs> but I'm, I'm good because my hope rests in the fact that, as we saw in that kid's video, God is a promise keeper. There is no doubt. And at the perfect time, he'll come back. At the perfect moment, he'll come back. So what do they do? They go back. Look at verse 12. It says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these with one... All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. They all go back. Can I ask you something? I don't want you to answer. I just want you to think about it. Do you feel a lack of power in your faith? Do you, do you read the stories in the Bible and say, man, I wish it was like that again. I, I wish. I mean, I know so many people like, oh, if we could just get back to the Acts church. See, my question is, like, when did we leave it? But is, is there, like, a sense that, man, there, there's, there's no power? You know, I always hear, you know, I stand up here and do the welcome every Sunday. I say, I believe God wants more. You know, he came to give us more abundant life. He came to us to experience that more. Do you feel like, man, I'm missing stuff, and I just feel like I'm going through the motions? Can I suggest to you there's a couple of things that you need to do? The very first thing is obedience is the key to power. If the, if the apostles would have just stayed there looking, nothing, the church would have never been born, not through them. If they would have dispersed, like, well, I'm going back to my town. I'm going back to Galilee. I'm going to go back to being fishermen. They did that for a while. But in the end, they were obedient. They went back to Jerusalem. And so the very first thing you and I have to do, if you want that power, if you want that enthusiasm, if you want that passion and see God change things, the very first thing is we have to be obedient. And if you're not seeing it, then start looking in your life and saying, where am I not? Because I'm missing something. It's always been about obedience. Even back in the Old Testament, Saul, you know, God told him to do one thing, he did something else. And so God sent Samuel to him, and he says, listen, to obey is better than sacrifice. So it always starts with obedience, and whatever that is, maybe that's like, you know, maybe the obedience is I feel Jesus pulling on my heart, I feel Jesus calling me, I need to answer that, and I need to be submit to that and surrender to that. Maybe it's my finances, maybe it's my, the way I treat my family, the way I'm a husband or a wife or a son or a daughter or a student. Maybe it's the way I work, or maybe I don't spend enough time in Scripture, or maybe I'm not praying, or maybe I'm not sharing. Whatever it is, there is something in there that all we have to do is to begin to feel that power and understand that power is to obey. The next thing is unity. I love that in verse 14 it says, And all these with one accord. Second car mentioned in the Bible. First one is they heard David's triumph throughout the land. 
Now the apostles were in one accord. <laughs> Just marks him back going, oh, make him stop. <laughs> make him stop. Triumph. Triumph. Yeah. <laughs> but they were unified. Listen, I think the greatest issue in the church today is unity. That doesn't mean that we always agree. That doesn't mean that we always figure out like, hey, we're all going to go this. But it means we're all together in one mission, one mission only, and that is to be as witnesses in, in, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. That we are in unity together. In fact, that's what Jesus said. His only evangelism strategy, the only evangelism strategy in all of Scripture is Jesus praying, Lord, let, Father, let them be one as you and I are one so they will know the world. They will know that you sent me. It is unity. Again, that doesn't mean we always agree, but it means we come together and say, yes, this is God has called us. See, I believe, God, if you're at this church this morning, there's a reason you're at this church. If you live here and you're looking for a church, you need to find a church. If it's not this one, I will help you find a church. But there's a church where you need to be, where you have a job and you have a task that you can do that nobody else can do. See, we don't go to church just to sit around. We are unified together all to complete that one mission because it's about Jesus. It's not about Grace Baptist. It's not about Pastor Tony. It's not about my name, this church, all that stuff goes away. Jesus is forever in his kingdom. And so there's unity saying, man, we are going to come together. We are going to come together in relationship and in covenant. And we're going to say, yes, we are pointed and we're moving the same way. And that's what they had. And then finally, there's oh, almost finally, there's prayer. What's your prayer life like? Do you understand prayer is the one thing that our enemy cannot touch? Listen, I was, I, like I said, I spent like three hours of a six-hour shift talking to a young lady about faith and why I believe in God and why I think Jesus is the only way and all this stuff. And every time we would get to like a pivotal moment, there were people like start coming in like I guess they wanted to go to the park or something. I don't know. <laughs> I'm like, you're interrupting what I love to do, but I'll do my job, okay. <laughs> but the one thing that can never be interrupted is our prayer. You know, you can pray for something today and can be answered years from now. You can pray for somebody here in, in Four Corners, Florida, and reach, and it will touch somebody in China. There's no limits to the power of prayer. There's no limits. And if we don't have a prayer life, if we're not praying for this community, if you're not praying for me, if you're not praying for the people around here to come to know, then there's no power. They're obedient, and, and, and they're unified, and they are praying, and they are seeking God, because in the end, it is God. That's what I tell you. This is why I always try to tell you, go tell the story. Share the gospel. Don't worry about if you don't know everything. Don't worry about if you don't think it's fascinating or exciting enough, because it doesn't matter about that, because it's God that does the work. All we have to do is be obedient, and then pray, pray, and then finally Finally, they are in one accord, devoting themselves to prayer together with the women of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the brothers. They waited. How many times did we try to get ahead of God? How many times did we try to make a way instead of letting God open the door? Listen, I'm going to tell you something. If it was my way, right now we would be in a new building. We'd have like all new chairs. They'd be padded. They'd be a little bit more comfortable. We'd have all kinds of stuff, new sound system, bigger stage. We'd do all this stuff. And I'm like, God, that's just going to help us so much. But it's not about 
my timing. It's about God's timing. By the way, God is never late. And he's never early either. He's always on time. And one of the greatest disciplines we can learn in our faith is wait. That means like if you're praying and God hasn't answered that prayer yet, keep praying. Until he tells you to stop. You keep praying. You keep asking God to intercede. Do whatever you need to do. But you just keep praying. You keep praying. But wait on him. Because when it happens in his power and his time, it's perfect all the time. Listen, I encourage you to read the rest uh, of the the section. Because the whole rest of this is um, is setting the stage for what's about to happen. You know, as, as we all know, if you've been around church, there was Judas betrayed Jesus he hung himself he died it tells a little bit of that story I'm just I'm paraphrasing a little bit um, but th- there's an interesting though they figure out we need 12 apostles you know it, it was kind of foretold there would be 12 apostles there'd be 12 followers of Christ and so so they fill that vacancy they fill that spot trusting the Holy Spirit I always thought it was weird it says they cast lots in verse 26 and the lot fell on Matthias and he was numbered with the 11 apostles again it was someone that saw Jesus alive there was this distinct reason why they're called apostles. It's not a term I think we use today or we should use today. But so they trusted the Holy Spirit. They trusted the Lord and said it, it, it's Matthias. But there's an interesting note here, and it's just kind of a little bunny trail that I just thought was really, really cool. And um, verse 15, it says, In those days Peter stood up among the brothers. He took leadership. And the company of persons was in all about 120. And there's a little parentheses in the Bible. You know why that's there? Because Jewish law said that to start a new community, there had to be 120 men. Sorry, ladies. But there had to be 120 men. There had to be 120 people to start a new community. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it amazing that God still honors? He says, everything's going to be set exactly right the way it should. There's not going to be any doubt when the church begins. That there was exactly what needed to be there to start a whole new community. Not a new faith, by the way. Jesus didn't come to start a new religion. He just came to show us that this is, he showed us this is, it's about a relationship and not about a bunch of laws and a bunch of things you do. But God, even in that moment, set it up so that it was right. And it was perfect. So my question for us this morning is, as we just scratching the surface and, and begin to get in here is, are you ready? Are you ready for whatever God is calling you to do? Or are you standing around just kind of gazing into the sun, just wondering or remembering a moment or the good old days and stuff? But are you ready? Because I can tell you whether you were, you were like three years old or you were 93 years old, as long as there's breath in your body that there's still a plan that God has for you and a purpose for you to be here. There's no retirement in the Bible except absent with the body, present with the Lord, that every one of us still has a job, every one of us still has a purpose and, and, and something that we are called to do. Are you ready for that? Have you taken the time to be obedient? Have you taken the time to be connected with a group of people and say, yes, I'm in unity with a group of people because I'm not, I'm not able to do this on my own? Have you been praying? Are you waiting and saying, God, when you tell me, are you ready to do that? Are you ready to take whatever that next step is? Because that's what they were doing. That's what God calls us to do, to be always ready.
Because I don't know when, but at any moment, God could just say, all right, here you go. Here's your job. You, you've gone through it. You're going through trials and suffering. God uses that to prepare us for whatever's next. If you're going through a good time, God uses that to give us rest for whatever's next. There's always something that's whatever is next. It's coming. Are, are you ready? Are you paying attention? I love Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott, the missionary, the martyr in Ecuador. He says, rest in this. It is his business to lead, command, impel, send, call, or whatever you want to call it. It is your business to obey, follow, move, respond, or what have you. We are going to see over the coming weeks how God just opened doors and moved. And my question for us again this morning, are you ready? If you're not, let's get ready. Because whether God chooses to keep this church 30 people for the next 30 years or God blesses and says, no, I want to make it 3,000 people, numbers don't matter. What matters is that we are obedient and we are ready. Every opportunity. I pray every day when I have to work at Universal. Like, God, just give me an opportunity. And for like a week, all week, there was like nothing. It was just everything. And like, they know I'm a pastor and they're still cussing and they're all stuff. I'm like, I'm just sitting there going, yeah, what's your name? So I say it right in my sermon. And, <laughs> and, it was, and I'm just like, God, I just want to be ready. And all of a sudden, a girl comes up and says, are tattoos sin? I'm like, I hope not because I have one. <laughs> well, what's that? Why? And why do you believe in God? And, and I want to get married someday. But how can you be married for 29 years and all that? And I spent three hours telling someone about Jesus. I don't know if anything will happen. It's not up to me. But I got to spend three hours. That only happens when you're ready. God will give you an opportunity every single day if you're ready. And the story will continue through us. This morning, I just want to give you a chance to respond. Again, asking that question, are you ready? Are, are you ready for whatever God's calling you? Maybe that's a first step. Maybe that's like for the first time, I need to put my trust in Jesus and surrender for that. I know I'm a sinner. I've been doing it my way. It's not working. I need to do it God's way. Or maybe it's someone that says, you know, I've just been kind of sitting around trying to force things. Man, my prayer life needs to build up. Or, or man, I need to have the courage to go speak. Or, or whatever it takes, whatever that next step is, this morning, let's make ourselves ready so that we carry on this story that goes on and on. Let's pray.